Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to Episode 5. Today, Rachel and I are going to be talking about, well, the, the suffering wife idea. And whether or not, well, the question we're going to really be discussing is, is marriage designed by God to be a crucible of suffering for women? We've heard the idea that um, God designed, you know, God's, God's purpose for us is not to make us happy, but to make us holy. And so then people will say, well, in marriage, same thing. You're not supposed to necessarily be happy in your marriage, but if you've got a, an abusive marriage, then that's a great opportunity to just grow in your holiness. Is that really what the purpose of marriage is? And is that God's ultimate purpose for us as human beings to suffer in order to become holy? And what, what is the role of suffering in our lives? And that we are going to, there's so much to cover here. And we're just going to sit down. Uh, Rachel and I are just sitting here and we're just going to have a chat about it. And hopefully we can all um, learn a few things about this subject. Hey, Natalie. Hi, Rachel. <laughs> Are you ready to dive in? Yeah, there's so much to cover here. This picture of the pious, virtuous, suffering for Jesus wife. Um, wow, I, I can't wait to get into this with you. How did this subject affect your life? Well, what is the ultimate picture of a Christian woman in, that is you know, in mainstream Christian culture? Um, well, you know, we think about Proverbs 31 and, you know, staying at home and raising children and um, being a good wife, right? And so that's at all costs, right? We have mm-hmm. to persevere in those goals, no matter what, no matter what our external circumstances are, no matter how uh, godly or ungodly our husbands may truly be at home, it is up to us to keep it all together Mm -hmm. in in the mainstream Christian idea. Correct. And if you do end up sacrificing yourself, maybe more than you ever thought possible, then that's somehow um, really virtuous and you're held up and heralded as the ultimate pinnacle of um, a Christian example. Right. Right. And (laughs) I have definitely had to turn this on my head because honestly, growing up, that's what I wanted. I wanted to have a family that was, um, you know, my family was kind of unstable growing up and I wanted to have this stable Christian church going, uh, picture of a family. And I sort of did, but goodness gracious, it was not true. (laughs) It was, it was a facade. It was, um, nothing like what I had imagined or dreamed of. And so I think with, at the crux of this though, if you really break it down, what a works-based idea that somehow you've got to earn um, your standing as a woman of virtue uh, by suffering under the harsh hand of your husband or the harsh words of your husband. And Jesus is the one who suffered for us. There is no calling for us um, to continue to suffer to earn um, our salvation or earn our grace before God. It's just not 
there. And it is confusing because I think there's some verses and we can talk about that, that, that do talk about suffering and good. We know that suffering is going to come in this world, but it comes regardless of whether or not we bring it on ourselves. And if we bring it on ourselves, it somehow doesn't make us more holy. It's, that's not the way it works. It's going to, it's going to happen. Suffering is going to happen and it can make us more holy, but I do not believe we are, we are called to bring it on ourselves and to somehow stay in a suffering situation where we may be suffering for lies, suffering to keep up that facade, suffering um, to enable our husband to treat us selfishly and, and to use us and to um, abuse us. That mm-hmm. is not, um, th- that is not the suffering God calls us to, to suffer for lies. Jesus is not suffer for lies. He suffered because of lies. He suffered because people were telling false things about him and, and, you know, calling him, you know, saying that he was filled with, uh, <laughs> demons, et cetera. And he stood up for truth and he suffered for it. Because, right. And so we are called to follow that example. <laughs> and I think we will absolutely suffer if we stand up for truth. The suffering is going to come if we stand up and, and call what is actually going on behind closed doors, um, for what it is we are going to suffer. People are going to say the wrong things about us. They may say that we're filled with demons, just like they did Jesus. Right. Um, or that and, you have borderline personality disorder. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> or you're, yeah. Like you're crazy and um, you're so sensitive and um, you, how dare you not, you know, just call, lean into that calling of, of not being happy, but being holy. Right. Cause that's right. what it's all about. <laughs> but so they're not going to understand you. People are not going to understand you. They're not going to herald you as the ultimate picture of a pious, virtuous wife. Um, you will be in a place of suffering. I can guarantee you. <laughs> um, but it is standing for truth and you will know at the core of your being that you are standing for God's truth. Right. I think people, I think people get, well, the verse that comes to my mind is, um, is first Peter four nineteen that that I think people use this verse as a kind of their proof text for why women should suffer in their marriages. Mm-hmm. But um, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. So they'll mm-hmm. say, you know, woman, you need to do God's will, suffer according to God's will, and but their definition of what God's will is, Mm -hmm. is not always what God's will actually is. And who's to say, who's to say what, who's to say what that is. So I think you have to go back to defining what doing good is, you know, suffering Mm -hmm. while doing good, suffering, Mm -hmm. doing God's will. What is doing good and what is God's will? See, the Pharisees had a completely different different definition of what God's will was and what doing good was than Jesus did. And the Pharisees were the, you know, the Pharisees definition was you do good by not healing on the Sabbath. You keep the Sabbath at all costs. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said, no, if, if the law says to keep the Sabbath, but the law is actually causing harm to a human being, the human being trumps trumps the the law okay because the sabbath was made for man not man for the sabbath just exactly. like marriage is made for man not man for marriage exactly so if you apply these principles all really all you need to do a, a couple of years ago i read through the book of john 
numerous times, just read, I just would like read through it and then start over and read through it again. And Mm -hmm. just, I just really, I I really wanted to get to know Jesus. I, I, I had been looking my whole life towards people who were uh, you know, who had a religious education or who were pastors or small group leaders yeah. or elders or, you know, or people in quote unquote authority over yeah. me and thought that they were the voice of God in my life. Yeah, and I, and I, I really just decided I want to find out who Jesus is and I want Jesus to be the voice of God in my life. So yes. I need to get to know him again. And what I discovered is that he was so unlike religious leaders. Mm-hmm. He, he actually turned, like you said, he turned everything on its head. And I realized, you know, Satan, he is not, he doesn't come with this evil agenda that looks evil and is easily recognizable. He comes <laughs> as an angel of light and his agenda is very difficult to recognize. And it looks good. It looks holy. It looks righteous. It looks biblical. And he uses the Bible. Mm-hmm. And it's actually designed to undermine the love of Jesus Christ in our lives. It's designed to undermine the gospel. It's designed to really to strip away and steal the gospel from human beings. Everything that Jesus came to die for, it's designed to tell a lie about that and to strip it away from people and women in particular. And when you strip that away from women, you're stripping it away from men too. I mean, women are not the only, you know, is not the only gender that suffers. Men suffer as well because, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's huge. It's a systemic, huge issue. It is. And I think it also strives to bring us back into the bondage of the law because we can never keep the law, right? That's the whole purpose of why Jesus came. And what is, what do we know now that about what God's purpose has been all along? He talks about it in the Old Testament about writing his law of love on our hearts. And so we can walk in the spirit. We have the Holy Spirit as uh, when we become saved and that Holy Spirit is, is to guide us, to, to point us to Christ, to draw us near to God. And so if we, if we fall back into the bondage of the law, we're, we're, I mean, it's like, you know, Paul's making these arguments all throughout Galatians and Romans about, you know, what is, what is there, what is the point of Jesus coming? If we, if we want to live in the law, you know, cause the Jews were struggling with this, you know, the early Christians were struggling with this cause they'd lived with the law as their guide their entire life. And so I can imagine it's scary to think, oh my gosh, I've got this freedom. And aren't we still <laughs> dealing with the same um, this same idea today that we have yeah. this freedom in Christ and we have the spirit in us and his law of love is written on our hearts and we can trust that and walk in it every day instead of going back to the old bondage of rules and um, you know a finger pointing down at you that you better shape yourself up otherwise you're not going to be able to stand before God you know that's the idea yep. that's communicated to us so um, what a decision we have to make every single day that we are going to walk with the spirit and not walk in that bondage of the law and, and feel like we have to somehow earn our way into God's good standing. Right. And there has to be a willingness on our part, a humility on our part to recognize that as humans who are still in our earthly bodies and have propensity to sin, that we are not going to be able to walk perfectly every day. 
No, not in this life. Numerous times a day, we will have, you know, bad thoughts. We'll have negative responses to people, mm-hmm. but that is what Jesus died for. It, mm-hmm. And, and when we try to pretend that that's not the case, and when we try to act perfect and be perfect and put on this facade for, so that other people on the outside will think that we've got it all together, we're actually not walking in humility or in love. And we can't love others either. It's really, it's a way of showing dishonor to Christ, but, and it's, it's prideful. It's basically saying, I can, I, I can get my act together on my own. I'm, I'm, you know, but we, we pay lip service to, well, Jesus, you know, the Holy Spirit is helping me to be so perfect. And no, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't help us to be perfect. The Holy Spirit is there to encourage and to convict, uh-huh. but that, but if we were perfect, why would he have to ever convict us? Right. Yeah, he convicts us of our sin because we're not perfect because no. we're living in an earthly body. So we acknowledge our sin we, and we embrace God's forgiveness for it and we move on. And the problem when you're living in an abusive situation is that you have someone in your life who, well, especially when we're talking about, uh, women of faith who are probably married to men who say that they're Christians. Mm-hmm. They're probably going to church together and putting on this show that everything is great and things really are not great. Mm-hmm. But you're living with someone who is expecting perfection of you and you can't be perfect. You can't, mm-hmm. or they're expecting, well, they're expecting perfection of you, but they're also expecting you to be, um, I, you know, this perfect Barbie doll person, yeah. you know, that with no that, needs, right. Um. That doesn't have any needs. You dress yeah. the way they want you to dress. Yeah. You act the way they want you to act. You always yeah. defer to them. You have no opinions of your own. You have no ideas of your own. You have, unless they're exactly what, you know, his opinions and his ideas are. Mm-hmm. If they're anything separate, if you're a separate person, then you're being rebellious Mm-hmm. You know, and they'll use spiritual terms like that. You're being rebellious. You're being disobedient. You're being um, arrogant and prideful if you have your own opinion. Mm-hmm. Basically, stripping away your humanity, and right. all in the name of you know this is spiritual, and you need to you know get you need to you become less and Christ becomes more. But really, what it really is is you become less and this spouse and all of his flying monkeys become more as far as in control over you. And it really has nothing to do with God whatsoever. Absolutely not. Does not. Yeah. So anyway. Well, I wanted, I wanted to expand on that because I've realized over the past, you know, um, 18 months, how much of a role my ex-husband played as God in my life. My marriage wasn't making me more holy. It was making me more into the into the Ottoman, the, the, this character that my husband wanted to me to be, which right. you know, wasn't holy. Right. I was joining in on all sorts of things that he pressured me into doing that were not holy. <laughs> um, you know, even something as simple as talking bad about other people, you know, being scornful and mocking other people, yeah. which it really isn't, isn't where my heart was, but that was the environment I was in. Mm-hmm. And so putting, taking him off that throne of my life, which I would have never acknowledged that he was in, but he was practically. Um, So taking him off that throne and putting God on the throne and really finding out the character of God and what he, who he is and what he says about me was huge. And 
I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, actually divorce made me more holy. Wow. What a good... <laughs> <laughs> well, and you have to, just, you have to, you have to define, you have to define things, you know, you have to define what yeah. is holy and what yeah. is, what is define, what is the purpose of marriage and holiness is not doing, <laughs> holiness is not doing what everyone around you tells you to do. Mm-hmm. That's not holy. Oh, that's so true. And, but that was what I, what I thought it was. Or in, in, in effect, that's what it was. That right. fear of man that you've got to do everything that everyone else around you needs you to do. Otherwise, if they're upset with you, you're out of line with God. Right. Okay. So let's talk about what the purpose of marriage is because there, there is a thing out there that says the purpose of marriage is to make you holy. It's not yeah. to make you happy. But did, did God establish marriage? When you think at the, you know, in the Garden of Eden, did God establish marriage for the purpose of making Adam and Eve holy? I don't remember reading that in Genesis. I don't, did you well, see something about that? Well, when they, when God put Adam and Eve together and established marriage, they were already holy. They were perfect. They, they were. had never even yeah. sinned. Their purpose the whole was, purpose was, was completely, it was all about being one flesh. Exactly. It was yeah. all about being together. It was fellowship. Yeah. It was unity. It was just, it was enjoyment of one another, reveling in this wonderful relationship with one another and with their creator. It was this beautiful, happy, could we use the word happy? Is it okay to use the word happy? Do you think they I were happy? <laughs> I mean, I, Is I, happiness I, a sin? I, <laughs> it's, it's like almost like, how do you, how dare you go there? You know, like you're supposed to be holy. How dare you even think about the, the prospect about of, being happy, like happiness, especially with your significant other. <laughs> I just think that, yeah. So I, when sin came into the world and, and they sinned, their fellowship was broken. You know, they looked at each other, they were ashamed. Mm -hmm. They were, that's when the finger pointing began. That's when the judgment began. That's when the murder began and the, and everything else that was horrible. That was, that's when the, you know, men ruling over women, which was not a curse. It was a judgment and it was not God's prescription for mankind from then on out. That was just a description of what happened because of the fall. And and the whole idea of Christianity and the New Testament and what Jesus Christ came to do was to actually turn back, you know, reverse that. that Christians who have the Holy Spirit living inside of them could begin to work towards going back to the way it was before sin came into the world, when men and women were unified, when they were ruling the world together, yeah. that's what, you know, side by side. Mm-hmm. And that's what our job as Christians, is, we're supposed to be striving for that. And the purpose of marriage, you know, God, the purpose of marriage is to, ref- it, it, it's for that fellowship, but it's also a reflection of Christ and the church. And, yeah. And when you've got an abusive individual, whether it's the male or the female, because it can go the other way as well, mm-hmm. you don't have a picture of that beautiful unity between Christ and the church. You have a picture of, um, of I mean, 
you know, I mean, almost every single one, well, every, really, I can honestly say this, every single woman that I've talked to who's been in an emotionally abusive relationship, they, one of the biggest things that they deal with on a regular basis is accusation. They're accused. If they ever try to say, hey, you know what? This is really, really hurting me and I need to have some boundaries here. They are accused of all kinds of, you know, just everything gets turned on them. They are blamed for everything. They're accused of being a bad Christian. They're accused of being a bad wife. They're accused of, you know, what, just fill in the blank. They're accused of that. And that's that's a picture of what Satan does to the church. Satan is the accuser. Mm-hmm. And another common thing in abusive relationships is deception. There's a lot of deception. And that is the other thing about the enemy. He's the father of lies. He is the great deceiver. So it is no wonder that when you have an abusive situation, you've got whether it's a marriage or a, a domestic abuse with abuse of children or an abusive situation in the workplace, wherever you have abuse, you're going to have accusation and deception. Mm-hmm. And that is a, those are just the fingerprints of the enemy. So is that really what, so when you hear Christian, uh, you know, leaders say, you know, people like John Piper say, um, yeah, you know, the purpose of marriage is to make you holy. And if a woman has to suffer, under an abusive situation, well, that's just her grand opportunity mm-hmm. to be holy. Mm-hmm. Really? That, that's really what they're, that's, are, are, is our, are we as a church, when you look at the church and you realize that one quarter to one third of women are living in an abusive, domestically abusive situation at home, And is that really what we want to be promoting in our churches and supporting and lifting up? Is that the picture that Christ presented of his fellowship and relationship with his church? It's not. It's not. That is not ever what is presented to us in the Bible. And I, I, this idea of, of fellowship, you know, this one flesh union, every single time, you know, your husband, you know, doesn't look you in the eye or, um, you know, and he's, he's basically ignoring your humanity, you know, when you're trying to connect with him. And that was something that was really big in my marriage. Um, or he, you know, implies that you're a nag because you've presented something to him that you need from him. Um, and you're wanting to come alongside of him to, to work out this solution or he, t- he acts like you're in, you know, you're just so sensitive and um, you can't take a joke or something like that. That is breaking down that one flesh union bit by tiny bit. Yeah, and um, it's it, it's it's so destructive and painful. And it is it's like the frog in the pot of boiling water. You don't realize what's going on um, until one day you do. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, by then, what is there left? There's certainly not trust. Um, and how, how can you be one flesh with something you don't even trust? You can't even be at rest with, you can't even be, um, at completely at peace with that is not one flesh. That is not God's idea. Um, I think <laughs> probably many women listening to this would agree that their husbands are probably very, um, open to being one flesh with them in a sexual way. But what is, what is that complemented with? in an emotional way or a spiritual way. 
or a mental way, you know, is that, is it really one flesh if it's only physical? No, I don't think so. No. Well, and and that's just really a taking advantage of another human being. You know, when you're treating them like they're not a separate human being from you, but you are taking advantage of their body and taking, Mm -hmm. you know, using their body for your own pleasure, but you're not Mm -hmm. really investing in a relationship with the whole person, acknowledging them as a separate person, acknowledging and respecting and honoring their personhood and their different views and their different perspectives and there's no empathy that's not yeah. it's not even it's not it's not a oneness of flesh either it's just a, it's just yeah. another way that they take from uh from their their spouse you know yeah. i think i i think about core you know the holocaust and Corey mm-hmm. ten boom oh, and yeah. how she you know, she went against the government and hid people. Yeah. She, you know, when you when you're hiding something, that's deception, right? It is. Mm-hmm. And and yet the Bible says, "Do not lie." Um. So there are. It's just another. It's an example of how you can take the letter of the law, and but if you applied it across the board, you would be actually aiding and abetting. Evil. Uh, uh, great evil. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she, she didn't do that though. She and her family, they hid, they hid some Jewish people. And then of course they were discovered. The Jewish people got away. Thank goodness. But her and her family, her and her sister and her dad and her sister and father died in the camps. And then she actually was in the camp for a long time, but she eventually uh, due to a glitch in the system, she actually ended up having an opportunity to leave the camp and they called her name and she got to leave and she did not say, Oh, but you know what? I have a chance to stay in this camp and be holy. And Mm -hmm. I'm holier if I am suffering. Yeah. She didn't do that. She took the, she took the opportunity to actually get out of that situation it didn't make it even her argue, it was God's will for her to do that. What? It was God's will for her to get out. I'm guessing, you know, the Holy Spirit was behind that glitch. Right, exactly. Because what did she do after that? She went about the world the rest of her life proclaiming God's grace and yep. forgiveness and his truth. Yep. And 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 she also didn't say, you know, she didn't go to those people and go, you know what? I think you guys made a mistake. I don't yeah. think my name is supposed to be on there. No, she just mm-hmm. took she just took her opportunity and she left. And then I think too about people like William Wilberforce, who mm-hmm. I, I watched that movie Amazing Grace, and I couldn't believe I didn't I had no idea that he went through so much depression and just mental uh and you know mental anguish in his fighting to set the to set really to set slaves free and fighting for the the rights of all you know of all people mm-hmm. and he was willing to go through that in his speaking truth he suffered in his personal life mm-hmm. in in huge ways mm-hmm. and i've often thought of him when I, because getting out i don't know i'm like I know that you've experienced this as well. And most women that I've talked to have gotten out, have experienced great amounts of rejection by people 
and also slander. They've been, you know, lies have been told about them. People that they have loved that they thought would never turn their backs on them have turned their backs Mm -hmm. on them. I've experienced that. Almost every woman who has actually stood up and said, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to lie anymore. I'm not going to pretend anymore. And I'm, I'm done. They have had to, they have faced extraordinary, extraordinary emotional hardship. And yet in, in my book, that's suffering for the truth. That's suffering for what's right. But no, but, but people, the people around him did not, you know, they condemned him. They did not view it that way. Okay. The leaders did not view it that way. A lot of the people did not view it that way. And so when you try to get out of your abusive situation, you can expect that most people are not going to view you like a martyr. They're not going to view you like a suffering saint. They're going to view you the way they viewed Jesus, that you are, you know, (laughs) you're possessed by demons or, you know, Satan has got a hold of your life now. You have strayed away from God. You no longer know God. You are not obedient to God. You are a rebel. You deserve to be excommunicated and they will spread lies about you. And that's probably one of the most, I mean, wouldn't you say that that was one of the most painful things? Yeah. Oh gosh. Because, well, that was, um, the approval of other people was how I got my worth and felt okay about myself. Um, and so God, I think, (laughs) you know, this past year and a half has been sort of removing that from me piece by piece. And it is so extraordinarily painful, um, to make that transfer from where your foundation is resting on um, the, what other people think about you to your foundation is resting on the truth of God and knowing that God knows what's in your heart and that you, that you are loved and accepted by him and he knows the truth. Proverbs 15, three says, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, observing the wicked and the good. He sees all of it. He sees your heart. He sees your husband's heart. He sees the hearts of the people who are accusing you. and and that is the ultimate validation where we got the validation from the people around us before. Now we get our validation from the Lord and knowing that he knows, um, you know, he's, he's searched our heart and he sees what's in it. I love that. I think we're just going to end on that. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about this subject before we close for today? There's one more thought and I don't want to take up too much time, but the other, the other thing about, um, this idea is what is most loving for our husbands to do for, for, to do for our husbands, really. Some people would argue that it's to stay married to him at all cost. But I argue that actually, if we love our husbands, we do not want to enable them to sin and to selfishness and, um, to, to treat other people in a way that, um, God, God has called us not to treat others, but in fact, to, um, they're treating people with injustice. So I, I think that um, it's important for us to remember that being loving to our husbands does not always look like staying married to them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the most loving thing you can do for someone is a wake up call and they may not wake up, but you've done what you can enabling the selfishness any longer. And um, you know, I do love my ex-husband. I, I hope that he um, humbles himself before God 
and that he um, understands how his behavior affects other people. It hasn't happened yet to my knowledge, but um, maybe someday it will. And, but I'm not, I'm no longer enabling it. Well, and that, that is, I think one of the most excruciating parts about the whole process of getting out too, is because a lot of women, they will, they will, they don't want to get divorced and they do love their husbands very much. And they have invested, you know, some of them two and three decades of their lives. And so they don't want to just throw that away and they love their husband. They want what's, they want their husband to repent and to change and they want to stay together as a family. And to be the one that, um, that has to initiate a separation is horrifically painful. And it yeah. doesn't look like that. And the horrible thing is that you feel so alone because you know that other people don't understand. They have no idea the pain mm-hmm. of initiating a separation. Yeah. You are suffering. It looks just like, you know, the one who is being forced out appears to be the victim. Mm-hmm. And, the and that's what they love, right? <laughs> right, exactly. They want everyone to believe that um, mm-hmm. because then they will be enabled and supported even more. But the one who's actually doing the initiating uh, and doing the hard thing is not getting the support. Uh, Usually she has very little support in that. And she looks like the aggressor. She looks like she's the one that was the bad one all along because finally at the very end, she's finally standing up for what's true. She's finally saying her, you know, telling the truth about the situation and people don't want to believe her. Yeah. So that's really selfish. painful. But then to file for divorce, to take it even a step further and to file for something that for divorce, which is final and it's it's a death. It's a death of yeah. it's a death on so many levels. You're it's a death of a marriage. It's a death of a relationship. It's a death of a family. It's a death of dream of a dream. It's a death of your financial health. It's a de- it's, there are so many layers of loss when you file for divorce and you don't want to do it. It's just, you're just, I, for me, I was just begging God, please, yeah. please do not. I, I felt like, you know, Jesus in the garden saying, please let mm-hmm. this cup pass from me. Please let yeah. something come in at the last minute and rescue me from this. I yeah. do not want to do this. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I, I, I ended up going away for a weekend and just uh, going over the last 20 years of my life and journals that I had written. And by the time I was done, I was on my knees just weeping and saying, yeah. okay, God, I will, I will do it. I will be obedient to you. And I knew that I was going to my death in many ways. And I yeah. was, I, I think the old Natalie died and I lost so much, but you know, it was shortly after that. I mean, once we, once the divorce got into gear, I ended up, ended up meeting uh, the man I'm married to today. And so God ended up giving me back something that was very powerful and beautiful and healing, which yeah. was 
it's not something that I had ever dreamed. I just assumed that I was going to be alone the rest of my life and living in that kind of a state. But um, God was very gracious to me and I'm thankful for that. So, but anyway, that, anyhow, that's another thing. But I, I just, my whole point in all of that was to say that it is, it's really painful to be the one to initiate that. And I have talked to women who will say, you know, I don't want to be the one to initiate that. I will, you know, I'll be separated, but I'm not going to actually be the one to initiate a divorce. And the problem is that a lot of times abusive individuals are, don't want, and especially the church, they don't want that final divorce thing to happen. And so, um, because then what happens is they lose control. They have, they can keep control over the situation if they can keep you married. And the marriage is what's important. It's this, the marriage is what's important, not the relationship, not, not the, you know, not love, not human (laughs) beings, not not, not not the honor of Jesus Christ. Not a true one flesh union that's that's actually fulfills what that means. It's just sort of a, a fake one that you tie up in a right. bow. Right. It's a lie. It's telling a lie about about yourself, about your spouse, yeah. about your church, and about God. And it's yeah. really hard. I mean, I, I don't did you experience that when you were in your relationship? Wasn't it hard to go to church and feel like I my whole life is a lie? It's just a lie. There's so much, uh, it's so uncomfortable. I just didn't understand why everything was so horrific all the time. Like why, why my husband wasn't loving to me like the other Christian husbands were. And I made up in my mind that I didn't deserve it. And so I acted around that all the time and just felt so constantly yeah. And how can you approach God and, and have, I mean, if you're just bogged down in shame all the time and you can't even, you don't even know which way is up. Um, and it's just so painful and hurtful constantly. Like, uh, I just, I, I don't know that I ever really have stood in the love of God for me until after I left my marriage. Wow. Really I, 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 yeah. I would have to agree. I think a lot of women would say the same thing. Yeah. Because we were looking for love in we were that song. We were looking for love oh, in all wrong places. Yeah. yeah. And, well, you know, so yes, we were looking for it from our husbands. <laughs> but you know, but really it was. It was the wrong place. He's not capable of, of that. He um, you know, he's got so many other issues, you know, not the least of which is pride that prevent him from truly authentically loving and not just saying those words. Right. You know, I think I think I would like to close by just praying for the people who are listening. Yeah. Can we do that? And then we'll end. Yeah. Heavenly Father, I pray for the women who are listening to this podcast right now. I, you know exactly, you see them. You see where they're sitting or where they're driving their car or where they're laying down. You see exactly what's going on in their homes. You know their hearts, you know their circumstances, and you love them. You see them and you love them and you believe them and you know them inside and out. You know their hearts. I pray that you would continue to bring them light and education and truth. Shed your light in the dark corners of their life and help them to understand 
the truth about their situation, but most importantly, I pray that they would understand the truth about your deep love for them. That, you know, we can say that and we know it in our heads, but I pray that it would really connect in their hearts, that they would experience the love of Jesus Christ. Your word says that nothing can separate us from that love, not nothing high or low, nothing in this world, nothing in our past or our future, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And I pray that they would experience that in 2019. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Fly free.